We want to take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to be beginning a new series of messages here on Conflicted by Grace. And so many times, grace, very popular today, and it should be, is misunderstood. You know, does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? Does that mean uh, I've got to forgive everybody and, and bring everybody back into my life? What does that exactly mean? So we're going to be looking, it's kind of an introductory um, um, message to grace today as we look at one of the most difficult parables to take. Not, not hard to interpret at all, just kind of take it. Just kind of take it in and agree with it in so many ways. In fact, I had a um, member of my last church, and she said, you know, of all, the, of all the things in the Bible, she says, I have trouble with this story more than any other story, and we're going to find out why. I remember, uh, let me ask you this, the, the other, last, last crowd heard of this guy many times over, Mickey Mantle. Does any, that ring a bell to anybody, you know, a couple of you? Um, he is a Hall of Fame baseball player. He used to play for the New York Yankees and was really one of my <clears throat> heroes growing up. And so um, he, was, he was a great player and really became a real celebrity even after his playing days were over with uh, autograph and things and made jokes about going to heaven and all this kind of stuff. Well, one of the guys that was on his team, Bobby Richardson, who played second base for the Yankees back in the early 60s, was a believer. Christian guy that tried to witness really to everybody on the team, particularly Mickey Mantle, since he was always asking questions and always seemed to be kind of interested. Now, later in life, I, find out, I, find, I found out that Mickey Mantle was really a heavy drinker, sometimes obnoxious, and never really had much to do with his kids. In fact, he was raised by a man who wanted him to be a ball player, so played ball with him every single day while he never remembered playing catch with his own three boys. And so you get the picture of this guy. He's on his deathbed, suffering from cancer. Bobby Richardson comes over, witnesses to him, shares Christ with him one last time, and Mickey Mantle gives his heart to the Lord. Now, he recovered a little bit, just for a few weeks. He stood up to the microphone, and I remember the press conference. And he said, you know, some people get saved, become a Christian in the first inning of life, I got saved in the ninth inning. Now, you may think to yourself, Wait, but did he really get saved? You know, we, we always, I always hear that, a deathbed confession. Yeah, but did they really receive Christ? And really what we're saying is, can the grace of God, we're asking, can the grace of God really extend that far? I mean, is that really fair? I mean, here's some of you, maybe you received Christ when you were six or seven, you've worked in the church, You've worked out in the community. You've been on mission trips. You, you've been everywhere to, to work for Jesus. And here's a guy who comes along, lives for himself all of his life, gets saved in the ninth inning, and he goes to the same heaven that you go to. So yeah, I've kind of got a problem with that. But even more so, and what I want to talk about this morning more, is that even we as believers have a little bit of trouble with that. In fact, we learn very early in life the phrase, that's not fair. Yes, that's not fair. It's just not fair. Your children learn that really, really early in life, comparing themselves to their neighbor's kids or, or maybe their brother and their sister. I remember one of my kids um, back when he was growing up, about four or five years old, and I had told him several times, I want you to go and clean your room. And he just didn't do it. And I said, look, I'm going to give you one last chance. I've told you three or four times now, if you don't go and clean your room, I'm going to give you a spanking. 
Now, this is hypothetical. I'm not admitting to anything, all right? Uh, just let you know. Um, but he thought for a minute, and he said, okay, I'll take the spanking. And he bent over, you know? <laughs> and I said, now, wait a minute, you know, because I'm kind of in shock. And I said, you're still going to have to clean your room. And he said, well, that's not fair. We learned that very early in life. But even as adults, we learn that as well. Young people, teenagers, college students, adults, we don't voice it as much. You know, we're, we're sort of laid back a little bit, and maybe we only talk about the unfairness of life to our spouse or to our closest friends. We don't frown upon it because, after all, we're, we're civil individuals. But nevertheless, we've got this in our mind. Wow, I'm not sure God is really fair with me. He seems to be blessing somebody else more than me. And really what we're doing in life is we're looking through, we're looking through lenses. We're interpreting life as we live it. And all around us, we may, for example, I've got glasses on now, I take them off, I can't see anything. And matter of fact, you know, I can see this far in front of me, and after that, everything's a blur. And so all of you are like a blur. I see colors, and that's all I see. I put on these glasses, and now I can see uh, much, much better. But I could put on another pair of glasses. For example, uh, these glasses, prescription sunglasses. Now, I know what you're thinking. The first word that came to your mind is cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> but another hundred of you are thinking, well, that's not the word I was thinking of. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm looking differently. In fact, if I could help you remember a little bit, maybe this little analogy will help you remember. Uh, in these glasses, I'm really protecting myself. I'm protecting my eyes. I'm, I'm really giving up some sight in order to feel more comfortable looking at brightness. And so I'm really looking at things, and we'll just call these the glasses of fairness. I'm just looking at life as it's, if it's fair or not. Am I being treated in the right way? Is God's grace enough for me? I mean, is he blessing me as much as he is my brother or my, my friend? On the other hand, I can look on the, through the glasses, we'll say, of grace. You know, it's not protecting my eyes or anything, but my goodness, at the same time, I can see, I see differently altogether. And so I'm looking at things through the eyes of grace, thinking to myself, you know, God is such a gracious God, he's giving me more, far more than I could ever deserve. In fact, as we, before we open up our passage this morning, I'd like to look at chapter 19 and verse 30, because after he talks about the rich young ruler, this guy comes to him, he's very rich, he says, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he was very rich, so he goes off all defeated. And the disciples ask, who in the world then, if not the rich, who can be saved? This man missed his opportunity at grace, and here's what Jesus said. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Verse 16 of chapter 20, after he talks about this parable, he says, so the last will be first, and the first last. It's like two bookends, and now we look at the parable in the middle. And as we look at it, we need to understand something about God's grace. I'll define it in just a moment. But God's grace is given by God according to his wisdom and his sovereignty. How do we respond to that? Well, as we look at Matthew chapter 20, again, just two, two points. One, I want to tell the story to you. And secondly, we want to apply it or relate it to life based upon 
three questions that Jesus answers in this parable. Now, in this parable, the landowner is God. Yeah, parable is an illustration um, designed to get across one point. Not a lot of points. We can speculate on a lot of things, but Jesus only meant to bring out, bring out one point. And that is God's grace is given according to his wisdom and his sovereignty. That's the point of the parable. But as we look at this, Jesus is the landowner, God's the landowner, and we are the laborers. So let's look at it. Verse one, for the kingdom of heaven, that the realm of God, the rulership of God, being on God's team is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, there's a lot of, as Jesus is telling this story, they related to the story in that day because there's a lot of vineyards around. Harvest time came, usually a farmer or a vineyard owner would have his own people that would work, work there every single day. But during harvest time, there was just not enough people. So you'd go out and you'd hire other people. Sometimes you would hire them in advance. We assume that he did. But in this man, he goes into the town and he looks for day laborers. These are the people that are just hanging out. They don't have a regular job. They're dependent on working day to day and to feed their family. And as they're sitting there waiting for somebody to come along, they make, he makes a deal with them, agreed upon. This is a verbal contract that he's making. And he says this, I'll pay you a denarius. Now that is a normal day's wage. That's, a, that's the wage of a soldier. So it was pretty good pay for that day. And so for him to pay an entire denarius to day laborers was really generous. So they jumped at the chance. It happened at 6 a.m. in the morning. He goes right in. They have to work for 12 hours in this story. Verse three, and going out about the third hour, that is um, 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. No contract here. He says, whatever's right, and he must have been an honest man, I'll give to you. Verse four, you go into the vineyard too. Whatever's right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. It was about noon and about three o'clock in the afternoon. And so he's still going out, still doesn't have enough laborers to bring the harvest in by the end of the day. And then verse, um, verse six, and about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so he's got all these people coming in at different times. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the, first, the last up to the first, just totally opposite of what it's normally done. And when those hired in the 11th hour came, each one of them received a denarius. Now this was this guy's grace. 12 times what would be normal good wages. 12 times. Now this is really generosity of this guy. Very, very generous. Well, the next people came forward and you would think, well, if he's gonna give them 12 times what they're worth, he's gonna give me a bonus too, right? I mean, that's only fair. And when those and he says, now verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled. And this has the idea of a continual thing. So they probably grumbled to one another. And now the picture is they're grumbling to the master. 
and went to the master's house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have been born in this burden of the day and the scorching heat. That just doesn't seem right. And if we're just talking about economic matters, it's not right, it's not fair. You couldn't carry on a business very long on that, but Jesus was drawing a conclusion to this, an illustration. Back in this day, as you recall, we're going through the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew is the bridge between the Old and the New Testament. Matthew is a Jewish man and is teaching the Jews about what is happening now in the kingdom of God. It's not just the Jewish people as the chosen people. It's, it's everyone who would come to know Christ, anyone that would follow Christ. And so the Jews were having a hard time all the way through really the book of Acts, we find this, having a hard time receiving the Gentiles just like themselves. And Jesus was saying, look, the Jewish people have been around for centuries and following God. The Gentiles have been living for themselves, doing their own thing, going their own way, worshiping their own gods, but if they come to know Christ, they're gonna be in the same heaven as the Jewish people. Well, that's kind of hard for them to take. This is also talking about the Mickey Mantles and the, you know, I could go on, Ty Cobb, another ball player, saved in the ninth inning. It's talking about those people too. I mean, how in the world, here you are, you were saved when you were six years old and you think somehow serving the Lord is a burden. Instead of saying, wow, you know, this guy only got to serve God or know God for just a few hours of life. I got to know him for all my life. I, I really had a, a chance to really get to know God. We don't look at it sometimes that way. Lord, I've been working in the church. I've been preaching the word, teaching Sunday school, singing in the choir. I've been going to church faithfully, reading the Bible. I'm going to the same heaven that this other guy's going to. Well, of course, we know there's rewards in heaven, so that's a different thing, different parable altogether. The point is, a guy can make a decision at the very last moment and still go to heaven through Christ. Well, we look at this story and we see people coming up all during the time, different times, and we ask ourselves the question, where's this generosity come from? It's called the grace of God. Grace is God's undeserved favor. It's the blessings of God that we do not deserve. Chuck Swindoll extends our, uh, a definition to us in this way. To extend favor, grace is to extend favor or kindness to someone who doesn't deserve it and could never pay for it. Now, first of all, we receive this grace of God in salvation. You and I can do nothing to save ourselves. The Bible says it's not of works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that anyone should boast. It's by the grace of God you are saved through faith. And so many of us here today maybe understand that. We understand there's nothing I can do. I must come to the cross of Christ, give my heart to God, and that is the grace of God. And you know, really, as long as you go to heaven, it's okay that someone gets saved in the ninth inning and goes to heaven, it's okay with you. It's good with you, uh, even though you kind of doubt it. Because sometimes we think that my life and how I've lived, it's kind of helped the grace of God. I mean, you know, I, I've done pretty good. I've gone to church all my life, raised up in church, and you know, I couldn't get saved on my own, but just a drop of the blood of Jesus was all I needed to get over the hump. While these other people need all, all the blood that Jesus has, because they're either wicked sinners, not like me, wicked sinners, or they get, paid, they get saved at the last moment. But Jesus says, don't, don't deny the grace of God. Don't doubt the grace of God. And don't resent what other people have given. So how do we look at this? Well, it's really a, a, 
a tandem parable to this is the parable of the lost son. Remember what happened there? You had two brothers. One wanted to have riotous living. He wanted to rebel. So he said, Dad, give me one-third of the estate. And he did. And he went off, and the Bible says, and I quote, he spent it on riotous living. Well, he's in the hog pen of life. He's in the hog pen, literally, in the story. He, he just yearns to eat the husk that the hogs are eating, but he can't because he get fired. And he thought to himself, wow, you know, I could go home and my dad, my dad's servants get treated better than this. I'll just be one of my dad's servants. So he goes home. His dad is pictured running after him, hugging him, giving him the credit card ring, killing the fatted calf. The elder brother comes out of the field hearing all the commotion and said, you know, I've been serving you all my life, dad, and you've never filled, killed the fatted calf for me. It's not fair. It's just not fair. And so, is it fair? Three questions that Jesus answers, asks ask rather in this story as he relates the story. Verse 13, let's look at it. And he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? First of all, there's a question of fairness. Do you not agree? He asked the question. Am I not fair? See, the question here is not the fairness of God. God is fair. He made a deal. He, he, he made a promise. He kept the promise. Now, if you were to look at your life as I know I have examined mine, there is not a time God has promised me anything that he did not deliver. There's not a time in that sense where God has ever let me down at all. Now, I'm not saying I get everything I want. Sometimes I don't think I get everything I need. That's not true, but I, I feel that way sometimes. But it's not about the fairness of God. In fact, God is, is over fairness. It's not like fairness and right and wrongs over God and whatever. God has to answer to this somehow in our own mind and, and satisfy our mind. No, God is over right and wrong. Whatever God does is right. Whatever God does is fair. He sets the standard to it all. But this is the same MO that Satan has been using, using in our lives from day one. In the book of Genesis, he goes up to Eve. Satan goes up to Eve, disguised as a serpent. And he says, uh, hey, how's it going today? And she said, well, pretty good. You know, I mean, God's treating us real good. Oh, has he really treated you that well? I said, yeah, we can eat of any tree of the garden, except for this one tree of the garden. We can't eat of it because if we eat of it, the same day we eat of it, we're going to die. In fact, she said you can't even touch it, which was not true. And he says, oh, has God really said that? First, the first thing he says to you in every situation did God really say that? I mean, is that in the original Hebrew, a Greek? You know, have you really studied that? Has he really said that? Deny, doubt God's word. Secondly, deny God's word. He said, God hadn't said that at all. That's just not true. And so you deny God's word. Oh, that's not even in the Bible. It's not true. And then replace God's word. He says, told Eve, the same day you, you, uh, you eat of this apple, you're, or the fruit, you're going to be just like God. You're going to think like God. You're going to be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. He's trying to cheat you. He wants you to serve him all your life and not be equal with him. And so she looked at the fruit, looked pretty good. She ate it and gave it to her husband, and he ate. And so began a difficult time because suddenly it's not that God's not fair, but life's not fair, and it's not. Life is not fair. 
It's not fair for you and I to be born in America and hear the gospel if we want to hear the gospel message every single day of our life and many times over, many times in a day. Or somebody maybe in India has never heard it. Or be born in America and have the affluency that we have. And then someone in another country has nothing. The, the, life's just not fair. Since the time that Adam sinned against God and sin came into the world, life is just not fair. God's fair. But life sometimes is just not fair. And so we look and we, we look through the, the lens of, of fairness. I think life ought to be fair. Life ought to be fair and God ought to make it fair. I mean, maybe God is fair, but life's not. He could make it fair. He could intervene somehow and make it different for everybody. Why doesn't he do that? So we look through the lens of fairness, and we all do that. The student, for example, goes to, to school, and there's a paper due on Friday. And the teacher said, unless you turn the paper in on time, you're going to get a zero. And so you come Friday, and, man, you had a rough week. You know, your, your aunt passed away, and you explain that to the teacher. And he says, okay, I'll give you until Monday. And so you do it over the weekend, you turn it in on Monday. Next paper come due, comes due, it's due on Friday. He says, now look, class, unless you turn this paper in, uh, you're going to get a zero. And you go up to the teacher and say, you know, uh, it's been a rough week. My aunt died again, and uh, um, <clears throat> I, I just couldn't get the paper in. Okay, bring it, bring it in on Monday, that'd be fine. So you bring it in on Monday, everything's good. Next time paper comes due, it's due on Friday. Teacher says, now look, I'm going to give you a zero if you, unless you bring it in. You go up to the teacher, and there's somebody in front of you and says, look, you know, my uncle died, and man, it was a rough time. He says, okay, we're just bringing it in on Monday. And they say, oh, thank you very much, appreciate it. So you step up there and say, hey, it's me again. You know, my aunt died for the third time, <clears throat> and uh, I, I need to turn this paper in on Monday. He says, nope, you get a zero. What? A zero, that's not fair. That's not fair that I get a zero. No, I told you in advance this was going to happen. Now, I've given you grace a couple of times, but now all of a sudden you're, you're upset with a teacher. You'll never get over it because, I mean, if he had said no the first time, that would be different, but, but you just assumed that it was just going to be easy, just simple. And you say, well, you know, aren't we as older adults, when I say older adults, out of college the same way? I was, uh, in fact, I was going through uh, Waterford. You ever been over that, that shopping center area? They got four-way stops everywhere. And, uh, you know, it's very confusing, very confusing. And so the other day I went through, and I didn't, I, I took out of turn, <laughs> okay? I went out of turn. I didn't know I did. But this guy, the other guy, he just sat down on his horn. Unfair, he was saying. That's just not fair. You took out of turn. Well, pastor, you did. But suppose, okay, you're, you're in the grocery store and uh, maybe you have one of those, I don't know, 98 bottles of water, you know, for 297, you know, the packages I'm talking about. And you got a couple of loaves of bread on there and you say, man, this is heavy. Where's that 10 items or less thing? And so you find it and suddenly you're going toward the out and somebody cuts you off with their buggy. And uh, you say, whoa, you know, and you don't say anything. You're an adult. You've got to be civil, right? You can't be like a child. You know, you just kind of maybe roll your eyes or something, you know, and just let it go. But then you look down in the buggy, and she has 14 items. <laughs> She's over the limit. And you start getting riled up a little bit. It's not fair. It's not fair. I'm in a hurry. It's not fair. This water's getting heavy. I don't have anywhere to put it. 
And I, okay, I should have gotten a buggy, but I didn't do it. That's not my fault. It's her fault. Because if it wasn't for her, I would be through the line by now. And so you think, to, and, you, and you look, and she keeps, man, that's 16, 17. I, you know, where is the public's police here? Where is the security? And maybe the, maybe this cashier will take care of it. That's cashier will tell her, go to another thing. You're over the limit. You're not playing fair. But then the cashier starts talking to her as though they're friends or something. And they start, she's, he starts asking her, what, do you have any plans this weekend? I mean, who asks that, you know, right? And uh, they, about the plans, you think, man, is he flirting with her? What's going on, you know? What, what's happening here? You've done the same thing. Life just simply sometimes is not fair. But it's, God is fair. It's not about the fairness of God. This parable is not about that. When we start looking through the eyes of fairness, we're not looking at life from God's perspective. And so we understand that God's grace is given according to his wisdom and his sovereignty, and we need to be grateful for the grace that God has given us. But there's a second question here. And that second question has to do with the problem, the generosity. In verse 14, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. I choose. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Everything belongs to God. If we believe in James 1.17 that tells us every gift we have belongs to God, it comes from God. Now, most of you here would agree that our salvation is by the grace of God. You recognize it as a gift. The problem is, after that, we start thinking somehow because we're working for God, we're doing some good deeds, that we deserve something. And our expectations begin to go up. And when we see other people blessed and other people coming to tell their story about the blessings of God in their life, we, our expectations are raised even more. But God is in debt to no one. And when we look through the glasses of grace, what are we looking at? We're saying, you know, I really don't deserve salvation. In fact, I don't deserve, I am not entitled to anything in life. Nothing. I'm not entitled to any blessing that God's given me. So anything that comes your way is an attitude change. You're grateful for it. Man, this is great. Look what God's given me. Wow, this is for me? For me? rather than what's well, about time. In fact, most of the time, we're not grateful because we're expecting it. God's just simply doing his job. He's given me the blessings that I should have. We deserve nothing. We came into this world with nothing. We're, we're gonna leave with nothing. Everything that we're given to us is certainly by, by, God, by God giving us a stewardship in life. And maybe you're sitting here to, this morning and you're struggling with this because Maybe you were saved at a very early age. I have a friend uh, that I uh, went to college with, his former roommate, and he confided in me one day. He said, you know, Dwayne, one of the problems I'm having is with, he's talking about evangelism, leading people to Christ, and he says, I do it, but the problem I'm having with it is this. I was saved when I was six years old, and I don't remember really what it's like to be lost. I don't remember what it's like. I don't, I don't, I have not experienced God's grace like other people have in that same sense. I can't remember it. And so we're, we begin to get jealous of God's generosity. Saying, God, you know, this is what I expect to get and you ought to give it to me, which leads to my last question. 
Our last question, rather, is the question not only of generosity, but then it gets right down to it, the, the question of the heart. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Then the last question, or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, here's what happens when it's the heart issue. We look at things, and we expect things, and we don't get things. We, compare, we begin to compare to others. Wow, my brother got this. I heard a story one time where a guy got, um, was, a, was captured by an enemy, enemy soldiers, and he was tortured. He wouldn't give up anything. And finally, one of them whispered in their ear, your brother just got elected to Congress. And immediately, the blood began to flow up in his face. God, look what you've done to me. I fought for this country, and, and now I'm here, and my brother who's always had the, mom always liked him best, right? And, and now he's the congressman. A jealousy. We begin to compare ourselves with other people. Second Corinthians 10 says this, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now, we do this all the time. Pastors, pastors do it. We do it on social media. Man, you know, they got their, all their family together. Mine, mine scattered all across the world. What is that? You know, or, or they call, their, their, they, they take these great vacations and look at that beautiful cabin they're staying in. Wow, I wonder what it looks like on the inside. Well, they don't know either because they moved over to take a picture in front of the good cabin. They're staying over there in a tent somewhere, you know. But it looks all good, and there's envy. We, we compare ourselves with one another. And then there's an envy that goes on, a comparison that leads to envy and jealousy. But he says, are you begrudging the grace of God in other people's lives. Listen to what Philippians says. Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He says, put others first. Let each one of you not only look over his own interests, but also the interests of others. Matthew 22 says, Jesus said, you love your neighbor as yourself. And so you look and you say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to preach. You've got a big church. You've got a, a nice family. What you're saying, though, is, is that envy is an outside problem. If you just had the house that your brother has, the car that your sister owns, if you could measure up to your dad, then you wouldn't have a problem with envy. But envy's not on the outside. Envy is a matter of the heart. It comes from the inside, the inside of who we are. And here's the result of it. Uh, in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first last. What does that mean? He starts off with that and then he ends with that. The first, those who believe that they are first. I mean, after all, God, you, you said you loved me and you died on the cross for me. God, I'm, I'm, in, I'm kind of important. My, my parents told me as long as I believed in you, everything was possible. My parents told me if I believed in myself, all things were possible. You see, you're, but you're going to end up last. Why are you going to end up last? Because you don't feel. You're going to feel like you're last. You, you just, there's frustration. Envy is all about frustration. This is what I deserve. 
This is what my neighbor's getting. God, don't you understand that? If you're gonna bless them, you gotta bless me too. Don't you love me? Sometimes that's what it comes down to. God, you must not love me as much as you do my, fr my friend. You expect and expect, and anything God gives you, well, God, that was, again, that was your job to give me this. But what about this? You know, you just, I mean, I know you've given me these things, but you still haven't gone as far as I wanted you to go. You're always going to feel like last. You're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to feel negative. You're always going to feel critical about things. You're going to feel left out about things because you feel like you're first. But the last is humble. He says, God, I'm doing better off than what I deserve. But you don't have anything. I'm better off than what I deserve because I don't deserve anything. In fact, I deserve death and hell. And Jesus Christ came along and died on the cross for my sins. And what more could I want than that? And God gives you a blessing. Wow, for me? God, you do that for me? You always feel first. You always feel and sense the blessing of God on your life. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. And so by this passage, what do we need? What do we need to receive the grace of God to look out of these glasses and not these lenses? Which one, what do we need? Fairness, you're gonna look out of fairness, you're gonna look out of grace. Two things, one, we need humility. And it says that here in this passage when it says, so the last shall be first and the first last. You need to feel like it's okay to be last. It's okay to get Leftovers. I mean, after all, what have you gotten already? You received more than you could ever deserve and more than I could ever deserve. James 4, 6 tells us how to get more grace, how to get more generosity from God. Don't you want that? Sure. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble myself, but God, it's okay. I'm, I'm last. It's okay that... My brother, my sister, my, my, this church member, man, they got that church member got the promotion. We worked together. I didn't get that promotion. He did. Well, praise God, he got it. He must have the capacity to, to handle that, and I, I'm not ready for that right now. It's okay. It's okay because I have you, and you is more than I would ever deserve. But then we need gratitude. We do. Instead of these people being, hey, look, I, I, I was a day laborer. I could have sat there all day and not worked at all and not been paid a fair wage, much less a good wage, and my family would have gone hungry tonight. But instead, wow, you came and got us six o'clock in the morning. I've worked all day. I feel like, you know, I, I feel fulfilled. I take the denarius, go home, feed my family. Gratitude. The problem sometimes we have is we don't have a long enough memory. We don't. You know, pastors need to realize this too, staff members. There's, there's people that you lead to the Lord and things you do for people and they forget them. But let me tell you something else, folks. Don't your kids forget what you've done for them? Hello. Do you agree? Amen? Amen. Sure. They, they have short memories too. And you've done this for them and you know all the time you stayed up for them when they were sick, the time you helped them buy a car, put them through school, do their homework. They, they, they don't remember those things. And God convicted me this week. He said, well, Dwayne, you don't remember what I've done for you either. Just like our kids forget as they get older. We forget. 
what God has done for us. We forget that answer to prayer that we had. Maybe we never wrote it down and we just, wow. Even if I were to remind you, if somehow supernaturally I could remind you of that, you would say, I just don't remember that. It's not that, oh yeah, 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 I got that. You just don't even remember it. God is calling us now to longer memories. When did he answer that prayer? When did he embrace you when you were going through pain or a loss in life? When did he provide for you financially? What about those grades that you were praying for, that school that you were trying to get in? All the times that he did answer the prayer was over and above. It's generosity, it's grace, over and above what we deserve. And we say, oh God, wow, you really do love me. And no matter where else your grace goes, because nobody knows when that's gonna be, John 3, nobody knows. It's according to your wisdom, your sovereignty, God, somehow you've blessed me. But if you can't remember that, at least remember the time that Jesus took you up, the Holy Spirit really took you up Calvary's mountain, and you looked in to your bleeding Savior's face and realized how much he loved you. Remember the time that you felt hopeless. Remember the time that you felt empty and you asked Christ into your heart, standing near that cross figuratively in your mind and giving your heart to him. C.J. Mahaney says this, for me, grace is never more amazing than when I'm looking intensely at the cross. And I believe the same will be true for every child of God. There's nothing more overwhelming and captivating to the soul than to climb Calvary's mountain with childlike attentiveness and wonder with all the distractions and wrong assumptions cleared away. Here's the thing. God always deals in grace. It just looks differently to everyone. It looks differently in every situation. It looks different for every child of God. Just like a salvation experience, I could share with you my, my testimony, get, getting saved at the age of 16, alone in my bedroom. I felt hopeless. I felt like I was at the end of my rope when I gave my heart to Christ. But your, your, your story's different. It all comes through the cross of Christ, but God applies it differently. And God applies it differently to us. God's grace is dispensed, it's given according to his wisdom and sovereignty. And we need to come to a place in our life, if we want to be walking with God, to be emotionally whole, we need to come to the place of being so grateful for the grace that has been given to us personally. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.